Welcome back to Dose of Support, a podcast where healthcare professionals share their stories and find community. Let's learn from each other and utilize some self-care in healthcare. I'm Dr. Vanessa Casper, a nurse practitioner, and I'm here to help our guests have a platform to share. Remember, I'm not your healthcare provider and neither are my guests, but we do encourage you to seek out care from your own professional. This podcast is not affiliated with any employer. And let's also remember to protect privacy and abide by HIPAA. It's hard out there. So let's find some self-care in healthcare. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the weekly huddle. We have some new people with us. If you're just joining the show, welcome to Dose of Support. I'm Vanessa, and every week I huddle up with all of you and we do a check-in together. And this week, I don't know why I thought of it this way, but I was thinking how much I hate HIPAA. Um, Like we love it, right? Because it protects us. It protects us and our patients. And um, so it's like a love-hate relationship, but it really makes things difficult when you're looking to cope with the stuff that you see at work, right? So like, let's say you want to talk to somebody that's in the field, but they don't work with you. And you want to share what you saw or what you went through. And it's really difficult to do that because it really dehumanizes the patient when we talk about them without using their name, right? Like your name is part of you. And for these for these patients that we take care of that, you know, let's say somebody who dies and you want to talk about who they were to you and and you know i have long term relationships with my patients because i'm a primary care provider so i'm talking like years i've known them and their families um and so when somebody dies and i want to talk about it it's really hard to not say their name and hipaa really holds us back from really being able to humanize that they were a person And this is especially difficult during COVID, right? Because we are losing a lot of people and they're nameless people and their families can't be there to claim them and tell you more about them and, and be with them. And here we are in this pandemic and it's in a sense so dehumanized. And I just want us to think about that. Because I, I, I am losing patients to COVID and I really wish I could say their name to you right now and I can't and I know I'm not alone in that. I think that there are different ways that we can honor the people that we are losing and one way is to share stories and that's part of what we do here on Dose of Support is share that work and share what it meant to us and the feelings around that and how we cope with it. And I'm, I'm in it right now with my, with my patients. Um, there aren't words that I have to fix that for you, but there are ways to cope. And I've said it before on the show, I am not good at like a daily journal, but maybe writing it down and thinking about these people that I think that we all need a little bit of something to help in those times where we can't share 
personal information of patients because it's against the law, but we also don't want to dehumanize them. And I wanted to talk about that this week because that's where I'm at. We have an expert in burnout joining the show, and who doesn't need some of that? So get ready for this week's dose of support. listeners, welcome back to Dose of Support. Our guest today started her healthcare journey working as a laboratory technician. She decided to make a career change and grew as a nurse professionally all the way to nurse practitioner. Unfortunately, she had a work experience in her provider role that caused extreme burnout, and it changed how she decided to move forward. Here to tell her story is nurse practitioner and burnout prevention influencer, Diana Page. Welcome, Diana. Hey, Vanessa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Since I found you on Instagram, you always post these lovely little tips about, hey, if you're feeling bad about your job, this happened to me too, and you're very open. And um, let's start with your role as a laboratory technician. First, let's tell the audience, what is a laboratory technician? Um, when I went when I went to college, I was a bio major, and so I always thought I'd do like the PhD route, and I would work in a lab. And I was raised by two chemists. My parents were both chemists, um, so I wow. always thought I would be doing lab work, and you know, and just focus on research. And then, so when I graduated, um, the natural course of things is if you want to do that, you kind of have to start at the bottom, which is the lab tech. Um, I worked in a melanoma research lab, and um, Basically, your job is to support the PhDs in their research. So you're running their samples. You're, you know, like I had to like manage the mouse colony, which was a nightmare. Um, It just over time was just not me. I realized that I was, I would look at the interaction with patients that they were having. And I was like, I feel like I need to be working with people. I feel like me at the lab bench is just not me. And, um, and I was actually just talking about that to my lab bench partner, because you're kind of doing your own thing at your lab bench when you're a lab tech. Um, I was just kind of venting and he was like, you know, have you ever thought of being a nurse? And wow. So another what... lab tech. Mm-hmm. He's of... actually a PhD. Yeah. But he, oh, wow. we had been working with each other for a while and he was like, I think he'd be really good at it. I think you should look into it. And I hadn't even given it a seed of thought. <laughs> so, you know, at that point I researched it. I quit my job within that month. I went back to school and you know, honestly, I thought that I would be like a hospitalist or something. That role really appealed to me when I was Googling. <laughs> um, and like, you know, I'm over so here funny, rolling but... my eyes a little bit because that does not appeal no, to me. No, and now <laughs> totally not what I would ever, like, no. <laughs> now that I know more, that's just, that's not me anymore. But that's at the time, that's what I thought I wanted to do. So I was like, oh, I'll be. So I worked actually in community health in East Boston, which is a very underserved population. It's mostly um, like Spanish speaking. Okay. Um, So I actually learned a lot of Spanish. I spoke some Spanish, but that was completely like fluent by the time I was done there because you have to like triage patients who walk in off the street in Spanish, you know, it's... That's wonderful. That's important work. We need more people that want to work in that area. Oh my gosh. And it's so, I mean, talk about burnout. I mean, I have friends that work in actually the health center I used to work in and it's an, it's a hard, hard job. Those providers are incredible. I mean, I mean, we had, because no one gets, they just, there's no access for one, like this very low income. Mm -hmm. Number two, people don't go to the doctor because a lot of them like, you know, have 
come to the U.S., you know, quote unquote, illegally, and they are scared to come into any sort of facility rightfully so especially now with just everything going on and um, oh you can say it trump is an idiot you can say it (laughs) he's like he's making he's he's making this environment for people that i mean no person is illegal no person no right that's why i put quote right yeah air quotes air quotes on a podcast but (laughs) um if listeners want to hear a little bit more about this in episode seven with imam brown she actually works in a federally qualified healthcare center where she works with underserved populations like this and Mm -hmm. we we do talk about how it's just there aren't any resources for these people that they have nothing they need help they don't feel like they can get care so they don't come in and then they come in with a really high blood sugar oh my gosh yeah yeah. yeah, and so you can be the best provider of care. You can be the oh, best yeah. nurse, but you mm-hmm. have no resources to give these people. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, so I so can definitely see where that is. That's so hard. And the people that do it, oh man, like, oh my gosh, they were they, like they must honestly. love what they do so much because, and they must they must have really good self care to yeah, and to they're just really keep going back. They're really caring people. I mean, all providers are. I mean, not all, but you know what I mean? Like, I mean, people go into that field knowing what they're getting into, I feel like. Right. But right. I mean, the providers that I work with there were just unbelievable and um, incredibly supportive of nurses. You know, no one was like, you know, treating you less than um, I learned a lot. And the great thing about working there for me at the time was just that the schedule was really flexible because they just needed help. So like every semester I would just meet with like the nurse manager and just say like, hey, like this is you know, my deal this semester, like this is what my classes are. And she would just work around me, which was really great. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you got some really good nursing experience, it sounds like. And it sounds like that was really a primary care focus with your nursing experience, which probably helps you in your current role now in an outpatient neurology clinic. Yeah. So when I graduated from the, um, NP program, my first job was inpatient. Um, so I worked inpatient as an NP in neurology. That was my like first nurse practitioner job. And it was like a kind of a blend of inpatient and outpatient. Mm-hmm. Um, so inpatient, I was like running the consult service with the residents. And then um, outpatient, it was just like literally everything under the sun. But I worked with an epilepsy specialist there. And he was also like a sleep specialist. So I mean, Eventually, I left there to move to Maine, which is where I live now with my husband and my kids, um, to work in the outpatient world. So all this healthcare experience that you have, is there anything that you do in your life? I mean, even before COVID times where we were all sanitizing and spraying each other with Lysol, um, (laughs) is there anything you do in your life that's really silly because of the training that you have? Occasionally get ocular migraines or like, you know, migraine aura without headache. And Mm -hmm. so my vision, I get like these sparkles in my vision and then I might lose vision in one eye. Um, But it's usually like totally stressed. Like I had one when we closed on our house. Like it's always, I had one when I was pregnant. It's like either hormonal or stress related. But when I get it every single time, I mean, I know what it is at this point, but I do like a full neuro exam on myself. (laughs) <laughs> which is like completely ridiculous you stand in front of a mirror like, and like nose, you know yeah check all like of your cranial nerves and like checking my facial strength I'm like look it's like ridiculous and I know what like, it is throw yourself in the MRI yeah and I'll go to my husband and be like this is what's happening 
if I all of a sudden, like my face looks, I like tell him all the, cause he's not medical at all. So I tell him like, these are the things to look out for. If any of this happens, like you need to take me to the emergency room and this is the provider you need to call. <laughs> That's yep. the other oh yeah. Thing. We all have that. Cause list. I'm like, you know, if I'm having a stroke or anything, this is who you call. <laughs> this is the Oh person. my gosh. I love it. I love it. Okay. So. Well, when we come back, Diana's going to tell us her burnout story and then she's going to tell us about some self-care and prevention techniques. So stay tuned. And we're back with our NeuroNP, Diana Page, who is going to tell us about her really profound burnout story that changed her career path. So Diana, take it away. All right. So when I was a a new grad, so this was my first um, nurse practitioner job. So I was so excited. I'm like, I'm going to be awesome. Like I want them to respect me. I'm going to learn so much. I'm like, I wanted to be like a star, right? Like you want to perform well and you want people to think that you're reliable and you know, that you know your stuff. So I kind of like delved in, I was a hundred percent a yes person. Like if anyone ever needed anything, I was like, I got you, I will do it. You know, they asked me to do inpatient. I was like, yes, (laughs) you know, like the epilepsy monitoring unit patients, totally ICU patients done like weekends. (laughs) Sure. All of it done. Um, and that went on and on and on and on. And, you know, at some point, I can't recall exactly when, um, but it definitely wasn't like in that. The first year was like a blur just because I was a new grad and the learning curve was so crazy. I remember there were definitely tears at multiple points, but not because I was burning out, just because I was new um, and it's hard. New and, and like, yeah, and we make mistakes too. And, and having to grapple with like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Or I you know, like bad outcomes that happen. I think that that is a whole nother animal that every healthcare professional has to deal with. Yeah. Or just like not knowing what to do and then feeling bad about it, you know, and having to go ask somebody and then feeling like you're less than for whatever reason, which Mm -hmm. you should never feel that way because everybody starting out has questions and you're like, I thought I needed to know everything, but the reality is that was never the expectation of me. I think that especially as women, we always are trying to climb to the top to be equal to our partners. And that's just because our society values that patriarchal bullshit. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it sounds like you had, it sounds like you had a little bit of imposter syndrome. Oh, a hundred percent. (laughs) So totally imposter syndrome. A little bit of like the superiority complex. Totally like the confidence was lacking for sure. So that was part of the problem. So I got dumped on, dumped on, dumped on. Um, cause I was, and you know, again, I don't think all the blame should be on the person. Like I think that, you know, the, the behavior system. of others total in the system, definitely. Yeah. yeah. It just, I mean, it's funny after I left, like years later, I talked to one of the, uh, NPs I used to work next. She's amazing. I shared a little closet with her. It was our office, but we were across from the bathroom. <laughs> like people would come in and be like, is there any toilet paper in here? Like um, glorified, right? Like, oh my God, no windows. Think, like, no. Yeah. People think <laughs> providers get all of these cush, like, oh God, no, 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 there's no office. There's nothing. No, no. Like there's no free lunch. There's no free parking. There's nothing. No. no and no, I no. actually think I made more money at the bedside sometimes. Like, oh, there yeah. was, 
There was yeah. totally more potential there too. Oh, 100%. I mean, honestly, like a lot of bedside nurses make far more than I do. Yep. I think a a lot of students need to hear that. I think a lot of nurses that don't have a lot of experience need to hear that. Like you don't need to be an NP. So you're, you are working and you're, you're the yes, ma'am. You are doing all the things. People are giving you all the work and you're working a lot of shifts in a row. And what happened? Well, it's just like one of those things like years in, like I was unhappy. I mean, I knew I was unhappy. Um, I just, you know, you kind of, you have a bad week. So you look for jobs, you know, <laughs> it's like leaving, this is over. And then you're like, oh, what am I going to do? No, I'm stuck here. <laughs> I like, where am, I, where am I really going to go? Yeah. You know, you have a bad week. You're like, I'm looking at jobs. Yeah. And so I didn't really have any good like self-care, quote unquote, like any sort of, um, like I hung out with my friends, like I was young, you know, um, I'm still young, but uh, <laughs> I was younger. So it's like, you know, going out with my friends, hanging out, whatever. But I didn't really have any self-reflection or any really filling my cup. I was very much like spending time with others to fill my cup. But at the same time, there was not really like a break from that. So mm-hmm. um, I didn't really know myself until or like know what I really, really, really needed to stay sane and have like good work-life balance until my 30s then it took years to like figure out what works what doesn't work you know you've got to try different things but um yeah so ultimately I completely burned out I I remember vividly the turning point at when I was like I'm leaving I'm done (laughs) and it was when so I had started um a Botox clinic for chronic migraineurs at the practice that I was at. And it was a huge endeavor. It was a really, really big project. It took a lot of effort and extra work on my part. Um, And when the time for quote unquote merit raises came around, everybody got the same amount. And so I went to my manager, like the practice manager, and I was like, I just was curious, you know, I see that everybody's getting the same merit raise. This is what they call it, merit raise. And I was like, but it's, you know, I feel like I've gone above and beyond this year. Like I really, like it was a ton of work. I'm telling you, I had to come up with like business plans, like financial stuff to like prove that it was financially like viable for the practice. Like ton, I had to pitch it. It was like a huge amount of work. Wow. And, um, and she was like, well, it's not really a merit raise. Um, okay. And I was like, okay. So why do you call it a merit raise? (laughs) Like, what the hell? So I um, was very bitter. um, And then I remember like a week later, she came into my office and said, I have great news. Um, We did a market survey, which is just for anyone listening. Like they look at people who have your job in your area and look at the salaries and kind of try to make it comparable. So you're getting around what you should be paid based on the market. And she's like, I have great news. We did a market survey and you are going to get a raise. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is what I've been hoping for. Cause I hadn't had like much of a raise at all. Yeah. And, um, and I very much felt like I knew other people that I went to grad school with getting paid far more. I just felt like I was underpaid in general. And (laughs) the raise was 25 cents an hour. Oh my God. (laughs) And I was like, I'm done. I was like, I'm done. I'm out. Peace. See ya. Been Here's real. my middle finger. Deuces <laughs> up. Oh, like, man. no. I was like, this is the universe <sighs> telling me I need to move on. So I was just like, I'm done. Um, 
and I started looking for jobs and it was just like everything aligned because when I looked for jobs, there was a job in epilepsy, which was what I was specializing in and yeah. now still specialize in. And so I was like, this is, this is the time. You were committed to the business and, and the patients and the work and that you were unrecognized, that you really were underappreciated and mm-hmm. And just kind of overdoing it and not having yeah. good work-life balance. So yeah, I had no um, work-life balance. <laughs> when you look back time. now, what are the warning signs that you saw and that maybe other people listening, maybe these are warning signs they can look for? Yeah. So, you know, at the time, like looking back, I have more clarity on it. I think at the time, I, again, didn't really know what I should be looking out for, nor did I even know really what the concept of burnout was, I thought it was normal. I honestly thought like, this is what people do. This is the job. Like, this is what comes with being a new NP. Like I legitimately thought that. So looking back, I know that that's not true, (laughs) but burnout, I mean, the, the thing with burnout is you, it's not about like not enjoying your job. Like everybody has bad days, right? I mean, even in jobs now, like my job, I love my job now, but I have a bad day. Of course, we all have bad days. But with burnout, it's that you like dread going into work. It's like (laughs) the bad 100% always the good. You may even have like physical symptoms. Like I remember feeling like really anxious before going into work. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't really be able to like let down on my days off because I was always overworked. So I had so many things that were just like left undone. So I could never really unplug. But things to look out for. So I think that... um, toxic work environments. I mean, if you feel like you're in a toxic work environment where you can, I mean, we all know when that's, I feel like you can pick up on that. Dreading most days, physical symptoms, not sleeping well. Um, But, you know, burnout doesn't happen overnight. It's gradual. So, you know, it takes time for that to set in. All healthcare professionals should have basic tools Mm -hmm. that they can, they can identify the red flags, as you say, ahead of time, mm-hmm. and then understand what they can do to help themselves or help the the unit that they're working on or the, right. you know, in their certain roles. So uh, in that, uh, on that note, what can people do if they're feeling burnt out? What did you do? You switched your job. You moved. Yeah, I mean, I think step one is just acknowledging that there's a problem. I know that sounds like so like AA. <laughs> it, do, it does. But, no, um, and it's so common. I mean, a third of nurses leave the bedside within the first year. Right. You know, and they say about 50% of physicians have some level of burnout. And I know we just did a survey um, at the institution where I work, and it was about that. It was about 40% of people having some burnout symptoms. So it's incredibly common. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we have a lot of initiatives going on where I work that are working to prevent like uh, kind of what you're talking about. Like we have a whole wellness sort of anti burnout thing going on now where they're doing, you know, lunch and learns, they're doing all this, they have like free yoga, they have all like a yoga room on the floor and right. like, there's all this stuff. But, um, the best thing is not to just deny deny, deny, or be like, it'll get better. It'll get better. It's important to address it as soon as you acknowledge it, because the longer you let it fester, it's just going to be not a good thing. So if you feel any of these symptoms, it's important to address them sooner rather than later, because it just will escalate. 
And I want to say that like mental health disorders, you know, a lot of people have a mental health issue already like depression Mm -hmm. or anxiety. And then when you add burnout on top of that, it could exacerbate. I mean, there are some statistics that I don't have on hand about nurses or providers that commit suicide, that attempt Mm -hmm. suicide, because Mm -hmm. it is literally wearing them down that much. So this is an important issue for us to tackle. And there are things we can do. So anyone that's listening, that's feeling like that, I want you to know there are things you can do and reach out to your organizations because they all should have wellness programs. They should. Mm -hmm. I think that that is like an industry standard now. Yeah. And and another thing that people can do is, so first of all, if you're you're ever having thoughts of self-harm, you of course would want to contact your provider or, you know, call the helpline or what have you. I mean, that's not something that you want to mess around with. Um, and, you know, we just had that uh, female physician in New York commit suicide from burnout um, right. with COVID-19, which, right. And burnout and things like depression or compassion fatigue have like overlapping symptoms, but they're not the same thing. So burnout and depression, you know, you may feel depressed. You may feel like you're withdrawing. You don't feel joy in the things that you used to feel joy from with burnout, but it doesn't, you know, not everybody suffering from burnout has depression, if that makes sense. That does make and, sense. And vice versa. But um, so I think the biggest thing to do when you're having those symptoms of burnout, in addition to acknowledging and, you know, taking action, which is huge um, and very courageous and brave, um, is to figure out what works for you in terms of bringing yourself joy, finding relaxation but also cultivating resiliency in the sense of like strengthening your self-confidence, strengthening, you know, your self-worth and your, your level of confidence. Um, You know, it's different for everyone. The concept of self-care is not a one size fits all picture. Mm -hmm. What works for you may not work for me. Like meditation, everybody talks about meditation, which is great. Meditation and I have never figured (laughs) each other out. Like we just, I just don't, it just doesn't work for me. I love to journal. I practice gratitude. I exercise. Like there's things that I do that work for me, mm-hmm. but some people hate gratitude, you know, not to hate gratitude. Everybody, of course, likes <laughs> hate gratitude. gratitude. They- I hate gratitude. <laughs> the <worst. laughs> That's hilarious. No. <laughs> no, it's like they find it awkward, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, I don't say it out loud necessarily, but I, I intentionally practice gratitude every morning when I wake up. And okay. for me, that's a game changer. Like I, it just starts me off on the right foot in the morning in terms of my mindset. But again, I think, you know, part of why I started what I started on Instagram and, you know, eventually will do with my mentorship program is teaching the tools to figure that stuff out and also empowering nurses and APPs or whoever that it's okay to have needs. Like just because you're a caregiver does not mean you cannot care for yourself, you know, and we come, we come first. We are humans first, period. That is such a good message. And I think that people that are listening might really enjoy following you on Instagram. So how do they do that? So I am on there at Catalyst for Self-Care. Um, and I pretty much post daily, um, but it's generally like actionable tips, support. Um, I respond to all DMs. Um, I've very much enjoyed speaking with people. I've met so many incredible, all different types of professionals on there. Um, and that the medical community on Instagram is just amazing. I don't know how you feel about it, but like, there's just so many amazing human beings out there. 
And I think that we have a lot to learn from each other, but, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's where I am. And then my blog is um, selfcarecatalyst.com. Very good. So folks, if you're listening and you're like, I like her message, go ahead and check those out. I actually do follow Diana and I have found your posts to be really insightful and just a good little snippet of like, oh yeah, I got to remember to just stop and take a minute today. Um, and so I think it's that's what we're about here at Dose of Support is finding those ways to have self-care. And in this case, identify burnout, prevent burnout. And there's always, there's always a way for you to turn this around. I really want to keep people at the bedside taking care of patients longer. And I want to stop that burnout too. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much, Diana, for being on the show today. And listeners, yeah, listeners, you know how you can find me. I'm at Dose of Support on Instagram, on Facebook. We have a Patreon if you want to support the show. We have a website if you want to submit your story. There's a survey link there. And if you are enjoying the show, I need you. Need? It's a need, not a want. I need you to go to the reviews and um, rate the show section in Apple Podcasts because that helps all the algorithms, y'all. All right. So please drop me some feedback. And of course, you can email me at hello at doseofsupport.com. All right. You've gotten some self-care and health care this week, and I will see you next week. Every role in healthcare is important, and these experiences matter. We'll be back next week with a brand new guest and a whole different story. Until then, make connections, you guys. Give each other a dose of support. Dose of Support is written, produced, and edited by me, Vanessa Casper, with exclusive music by Rafael Sequeira. Don't forget to rate the show, write a review, and leave feedback wherever you listen. I'm punching out until next week, where we try to find some self-care in healthcare once again.